Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Well, Callum spoke, uh, just let me just mention something. No, I, no obviously it was the minis were off yesterday. It was the Queen's funeral and we can all have political differences about no unity and all that stuff, which I don't agree with. But uh, as far as a spectacle was concerned, I thought it was outstanding. Uh, as a spectacle, I thought some of it was just beautiful. Uh, I think the piper walking away on his own uh, as it went down, I thought it was a, a wonderful spectacle. And only, in the, only in Britain could we do some of that, and I think it was a fitting um, end uh, to a, set, a, a woman's life, and that's who she is, a woman's life who served. There's been much talk of her being more than that, and even in reform circles, she was more than that. She's no more than that than a servant, and uh, I, I was astounded that some reformers actually have lauded her. I even debated with one who had placed her above all echelons of other humans looking down from a higher place, and I have no idea why they can come to that conclusion. Um, but it's important that sometimes when we get into the debates, if indeed you're a person that does get into the debates, that we don't fling out the baby with the bathwater, if it, if it be said, and then go harsh, and miss out the good things that was there. And often we can do that. I think immaturity makes us sometimes, when we challenge things, know that it's maybe negative, that we forget about the good stuff and we can fling that away as well. And it's sometimes timing's, I think, important. You know, I think timing is, is, is the essence. But I think in all tense purposes, the things I've seen. Now, I was more moved with the corgis. I loved her as they went by and the corgis were waiting. I was thinking about the wee corgis and the wee horse. But, it's, but it's, it, was quite a, it was quite a spectacle when we just prayed it. No, uh, and we will pray tonight. No, whether they're figurehead leaders or not, uh, we have to pray for these people as well. We pray that they would, because they've got a responsibility, and uh, we've got a responsibility to pray for them that they would, that they would, be faithful people, that they would be people who stood in the truth and the word. We know that that's what they were, that's what they we say they do, but that's not really what they do. And I think now with the passing of the Queen, I think it may even be less with what's coming. Uh, with what we're getting next, I think it'll get even worse. So we ought to pray for them because we want to be known as a country of believers. We want to be known as a country of um, who stand in God and stand in his word. So we ought to pray for these people. I remember being in America. Oh, God, that's been 15. Oh, I'd have been young in my face, 15, 16 years ago. So it must have been about... But 15, 16, I must have been about 15 or something when I went. <laughs> and I was, in, I was in America, and I remember I was in a church, and it was a very pragmatic church. Um, but I remember at the time, the, I was speaking to one of the pastors there, and you know, they, they were, they were kind of alluding to that America was on a decline and going where the UK. We're, we're way further advanced in America as far as the gospel's been admitted. For, for society, you know, we, we're, we're years ahead of the United States. But they alluded to that America was just starting to slip into that atheism, that non-Christian. No, it wasn't the unusual 15, if any of you can remember being in America, if you were in America 15, 20 years ago, it would not have been unusual. In fact, we'd done it. I've seen it all the time, where you'd be in a restaurant and people would be praying before their meal. You would see that everywhere in the States. 
You just people would bow and they would pray and they would give thanks to their meal. This would be in packed restaurants and they would just all do it. You would rarely see that now in America and that decline that what's happened. So we ought we have to pray. And we're known as a Christian nation. America was. Uh, but that's all slipping away. So uh, we ought to pray uh, for all leaders that they would come to know Christ and that would be uh, that would be on their lips as they lead and as they speak. And it's not just some modern psychobabble fake Christianity in what they speak. Anyway, enough about that. Tonight I'm going to speak about, and we moved on, the last couple of times in the prayer meeting we were talking about um, the fear of God or the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And we spent a few weeks in that. Tonight I'm going to move on. And if, uh, Callum spoke on Sunday night and... Uh, and as we, as we get through the book of James, and I know it's a bit more sporadic, as we get through the book of James, it's like a subplot. It ought not to be, but it is. No, um, we get through that. We've been through it, you know, because it's been stop and start. You, you lose a bit of the momentum of it. But uh, no less, Callum was speaking about it on Sunday. And uh, I even spoke to Fraser Day. I said, I've never took more notes than I have on Sunday. I was just the thoughts that was, was coming to my mind as Callum was speaking. And one of the thoughts was was this this statement that I'm going to put up is a uh, uh, the sin of omission is the sin we commission, uh, and I think that's a poignant statement. It comes to John MacArthur's statement on this uh, uh, book of James, chapter four, verse. Uh, uh, also, he also writes it in his commentary, and I'll get into a bit more detail uh, as we get through. Uh, as we speak about this, let me read the verses in James 4 that <clears throat> Callum shared on Sunday evening. James 4, 13 to 17 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit. And that will we'll spend a, a fair bit of time in that, that verse, in, in the last verse. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is... Even a vapour that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Let me just pause here. In this context of this scripture, boasting hijacks things, I think. Um, it really hijacks it because the word boasting that we would see in a modern term of what boasting would be is quite different for the word boasting that, and how the context of the word boasting would be used then. Uh, we think of boasting is just bragging and this. Here it's much deeper. Here it's talking about boasting as, as, as almost in a self-sufficiency way. And I know boasting is in a self-sufficiency way, but it can, uh, the word kind of hijacks us a wee bit because oh, we use it kind of shallowly almostly in this country. But anyway, move on. Verse 17. Uh, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I'll, I'll read 16 again. You shall live and do this or that, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Praise God this morning, uh, this evening for the reading uh, of his precious word. Uh, John MacArthur brilliantly puts it 
uh, this way, and this is with the heading as again, as I said. Sins of omission are rarely isolated. That's how he says it. In, in, his, in his Bible study, he says it a bit less, but he just says it a word more. He just says sins of omission are rarely isolated from sins of commission. Now, let me just say here, just in case, no, you're maybe understanding this, no, maybe for the younger people, what do we mean by sins of commission? Is, is the sin, what you commission, what you decide, what you permit, what you set out on, you've commissioned it, you've, you're the one that's bought and paid for it, you're the one that's decided, that's what it means, we, you've commissioned it, if somebody gets a commission, they've been called to something, they've been uh, chosen to something, they've been led to something, so what MacArthur, John Mac what MacArthur, what Dr MacArthur's saying is, is that, when we omit God, you know, and I said this on Sunday night, when we omit God, when we leave out God, when we don't look to God, when we don't seek God, uh, seek him in the morning, doesn't it? It says in scripture and in, in the Psalms, seek him early in the morning. Uh, when we don't seek God, then by default, by not seeking him, we're already saying yes to our flesh and then going that journey. We're commissioning it. We're sending out our sin, as it were. Because we're not stopping or pausing or reflecting on a relationship with God. And therefore, we just commission, we choose, go forth. Go forth, sin, and multiply is really exactly what happens. Uh, when we don't do what we know we ought to, we will almost always be on our way to be doing what we ought not to. I'll say that again. When we don't do what we know we ought to, we will almost always be on our way to be doing what we ought not to. It's a bit of a riddle, but it makes sense. Or as I said on Sunday, the moment we stop including Christ in our every thought and action, our every thought and action, we start to, the journey of commissioning or setting loose our sin and allowing our flesh to call the shots and, and guide us wherever it wills to go. Well, we, we got these wee cards, I don't know, I hope you're finding them helpful. I think, I think do you know what they do? They stop the commission of sin. That's what they'll do. So see if you've got your wee card up. Mine's is in the back of my phone, so I remember it. See if you're not using that every day and you're not doing that, the chances are you're going to commission sin. It's that simple. Because you're like, how did you go on a day? No, I never even prayed. No, I never even prayed for anybody else. I never even considered anybody else. I was so caught up in me. I was so caught up in my world. I was so caught up in what I was doing. You know, and, and prayer and praying for others on Monday, we, 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 pray for, we pray for the lost, and uh, Tuesday tonight we're praying for brothers and sisters. Um, it's good that we're meeting on a Tuesday as well. I don't know that that was deliberate, but it's how it happened. Uh, that almost stops the commission in the EU. It stops the commission of your sins right away, because you're taking your mind off you, and you're putting your mind onto other people and others, and it just pauses you right away. Which, that's why we ought to do it every day. No. We've only had these cards a, a week and a half. And some of us have like, I've missed three days already. I've only had the cards a week and a half. A week and a half, I've got, I've got my cards a week and a half. And honestly, it's like I'm using it as a toothpick. 
whatever. You know, it's hardly used. I don't know who uses a card as a toothpick, I don't. As believers, there's really no excuses. And this is, this is, this evening what you'll hear is that there's a wonderful thing in the life of a believer if we apply it. It's a wonderful thing that we don't have an excuse for excluding Christ. Oh. If you don't know Christ, you've got a great excuse for, knowing, for excluding Christ. You don't know him. You don't know what he's done for you. You don't know what he saved you from. You don't know what he saved you to. You don't know. You don't know. You don't have any deep understanding of his suffering and sacrifice as an unbeliever. Before I was a believer, I, I, I kind of, no, I had a shallow, shallow belief, but I had no, I had no recognition. Interestingly, I was preparing. I was preparing before I came tonight, and a gardener comes and cuts her grass. It's just easier, right? It's not, it's not anything else other than he's got a bigger lawnmower. So he comes and cuts up grass and he, he, he chats the door. He calls me big man. He's taller than me, but he calls me big man. All right, big man. All right, how's it going? I says, I just, he knows, I, he knows, I'm, a, he, he knows I'm a Christian just through talking to him. He's like, I was going to ask you a stupid question. Do you mind? I says, no, not at all. Well, I says, well, depends what it is. You know? Right away, and it's even somebody says that to you. So I don't know about you. This is how this is how fickle I can be. I'm like, how much will it cost me? <laughs> no, it always goes right to money too quickly. No, it's terrible. But anyway, he's like, can you marry me? So I've met him. I thought him and his wife were married long ago. I don't know. They seem to be coming. Says we're no married, and we want to date the right way. And I wonderful thing. I want to date the right way. I want God at the centre of it. No, I say, it starts off good. Nope. <laughs> it's like, I want God at the centre of it. And I was like, what's oh, that know your wife? No, we're no married, no married, no. Been together for years, no married. I said, all right. But we want to do it right. We need God at the centre of it. I, 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 know that, I know that you're a man of the cloth and you'll do it right and you'll lead us the right way and all that. I says, that's wonderful. I says, so when is it? He's like, end of 2024. <laughs> it's about, I says, what, two, I says, like two and a half year away. I says, I he'll be able to come and see me much later than that. I says, I don't marry genuinely. Generally, I don't marry couples that are no believers if they're no believing couples. It says, so what we need to do is, is we, it'd be good to embrace that, start embracing that journey uh, towards a biblical marriage. And he's like, ah, right, 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 okay, okay, okay. Oh, he says, I've got this thing I would like to do with a bit of tartan. I says, well, I'll not really be in any day with me. But, but you can sort it out for us, can you? I says, ah, we'll see about that. I says, we've got a long way to go before that. The point I'm making is, he's, he's not a believer, so it's, he's wanting to do the right thing in the end of 2024. <laughs> do you know, he's no concept whatsoever. So what I'm wanting to do is speed it up a wee bit. So uh, the next time he comes and cuts the grass, I'll be ready for him. Uh, as believers, there are really no excuses from excluding Christ from our processes. There is no excuses for a believer to exclude Christ from his process. Why are there no excuses for us to exclude Christ from a process? Because as believers, we know there's nothing in as good except which is in Christ. We know we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We know how hellish our life was before Christ. We really ought to have no excuses about no seeking him. There's no as if we go, ah, you know what, my life's pretty alright with or without him. 
All right. How were you before Christ? Terrible. You sure? Oh, my life was all right. And this is, I, I've seen this in social Christianity. No, where people come to Christ, you know, why did you come to Christ? Oh, you know what? I was just, I was a bit bored, a bit lonely. No, and I'm thinking, really? That's why you're, that's why you're accepting Jesus? Ah, you know, I need, I need, I need a new outlook in life. You know, it's, it's almost as pathetic as that. And you're like, why'd you come to Christ? Or how'd you come to Christ? Like, my life is a mess. And you don't choose it, of course. Uh, but we know as believers that only Christ could rescue us and set us free. Everyone is in this room who are believers and them who are no believers are, are still practicing trying to do life without Jesus. Okay, that's what they're doing. You might not know that, but you're still thinking, I can go alone here and everything's going to work out fine. And we know, not one. Not one. It won't work out fine. Because we tried it. It's never been done. It'll never be done. It'll never be done. It'll never be okay. Never be okay. It's, and here's the wonderful thing. It's ten times, multitude, ten times, never be okay. This is a wonderful thing. I don't know if you've thought about this before. It's worse for the, the elect who's not yet been elected. See the elect that's not been elected. It's never okay for them. You ever notice that? See before you get saved, nothing worked, didn't it? No. But there is some people who are destined for no going to heaven. Okay? And they seem to get away with things being okay. I'm like, I never get away with being okay. Well, even when I wasn't saved, it wasn't okay. And then, so there, when you get saved by God's grace, you know that that's the only thing that is okay. Does that make sense? So James is writing to believers who ought to know better. He's not writing to non-believers here. He's writing to predominantly uh, Jewish believers, Jews who have became believers. Which brings me, I better get into this, which brings me to the, the, this evening's prayer in the Valley of Vision. Uh, it's in page six and it's titled God the source of all good if you've got a paperback it's in page five um, God the source of all good let me read it O Lord God who inhabitest eternity the heavens declare thy glory the earth thy riches the universe is thy temple temple thy presence fills amnesty Yet thou, thou hast of thy pleasure created life and communicated happiness. Thou hast made me what I am and given me what I have. In thee I live and move and have my being. As Paul says, in God I move and breathe and have my being. He says that in Mars Hill in the Areopagus. In thee I live and move and have my being. Thy providence is set the bounds of my habitation, and wisely administers all my affairs. I thank thee for thy riches to me in Jesus, for the unclouded revelation of him in thy word, where I behold his person, character, grace, glory, humiliation, suffering, death, and resurrection. Give me to feed, feel a need of his continual saviourhood and cry with Job I am vile with Peter I perish with the publican be merciful to me a sinner subduing me the love of sin let me know the need 
of renovation as well as of forgiveness in order to serve and enjoy thee forever. I come to thee in the all-prevailing name of Jesus with nothing of my own to plead. No works, no worthiness, no promises. I am often straying, often knowingly opposing thy authority, often abusing thy goodness. Much of my guilt arises from my religious privileges, my low estimation of them, my failure to use them to my advantage. But I am not careless of thy favour or regardless of thy glory. Impress me deeply with a sense of thine omnipresence that thou art about my path, my ways, my lying down, my end. Amen. Pretty amazing. We just simply we forget how simple it is to forget. If we contribute nothing to our salvation, or as Jonathan Edwards puts it, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary, end quote. It's the only contribution that we had to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. We contributed nothing to our salvation. We were dead, it tells us in Ephesians, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God brought us to life. Then if we were dead in our sins and trespasses, we were the walking dead, as it were, which we know, it's not just a statement for us who are believers that we were the walking dead. We can all testify that we were the walking dead. Everyone is can go, yeah, I was the walking dead. I thought I knew, but I didn't know anything. I was dead. I thought I could see, but I was blind. If, if that great gift of salvation and bringing us from death to life and resurrecting our life to eternity, if that's that great act is what God done for us through his son, then why would we think we had the ability to make Holy God honouring choices without seeking them. It's pretty simple, isn't it, really? If it took God to do all that when we were pathetic, dead in our sins, why then do we think that we've got the ability to do anything without seeking them? Isn't it true that what the prayer says, that we at times knowingly oppose his authority, and abuse his goodness. And is it not also true that much of our guilt, as it says in the prayer, and problems come from having too low an estimation of the value of seeking Christ? Too low an estimation. But when we relate it to your life, and even if you look at the Beatitudes where the women have been going through, and you go right back to them, Right back to the beginning of the Beatitudes. That we should know how utterly, utterly hopeless we were. But yet we have a low estimation of seeking God in everything we do. Surely we've got to accept our great need for him. Therefore, in all our decisions, if we needed him, to bring us from death to life. Surely we need them to live. In God I move and breathe. And have my being.
as Paul says. If our salvation solely rests in him, why then not all we do? Which we know he is able to do. Surely the one who brought us from death to life ought to be whom we look to to live on a daily basis. I know this seems very trivial. It's that trivial we often miss it. If it took Jesus to open our blind eyes, is it no he who will keep allowing us to see clearly? <laughs> Jesus opened my eyes, but you know what? I've got an eye in this. Or I've got... no, if Jesus is the one who opened our eyes, then surely he's the one that's going to give us the spiritual MOT continually so that we can continually see clearly. Surely the incentive to seek him is that he is the one who gives us life, sight, meaning, freedom, peace, fast, as believers here. Did Christ give you life? Yes. Pastor Mark, Christ gave me life. Did he give you sight? He opens, a, he opens eyes to the blind. Yep, he gave me sight. I was blind to everything. I thought I knew, but I didn't know. I was actually blind. Did he give you meaning? Yep. Freedom? Yeah, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Peace, true peace, that goes beyond our understanding? Absolutely. Then why would we think that we can go alone? Calvin talks in his Institutes of the incentives to prayer. Yeah, by outlining those incentives which I've just mentioned. What's the incentives to prayer? The incentives to prayer, as Calvin talks in his Institutes, is simply this. The incentives to prayer is what Jesus has done for you. That's the incentive. What incentive have I got to pray? What incentive do I have? What's, why should I pray, really? And Calvin says, because of where you were when you didn't have him. I'm paraphrasing, but that's really what he's saying. Calvin writes here, here it is therefore remains for us to seek from him what we know to be in him. What's in him? Life, eternity, truth, freedom, clarity. If it therefore remains for us to seek from him what we know to be in him and to ask him for it in prayer and supplication, pleading. For to know God as our master, author and dispenser of all good things, not to turn to him or to ask him of anything would get us nowhere. We would be like a man, this is what he says, we would be like a man who learning of a buried treasure scorned it and left it hidden in the ground. We've got this thing, this God breathing, living, Christ alive, became known to us. And yet we leave it hidden. And get about our life. And get about our choices. And get about our decisions every day. And like, you can't even breathe without him. Is what it's saying at the beginning. In this passage in James. How crazy indeed is it. That we have that treasure in relationship with Christ. Wow. Isn't it amazing that we've got that treasure in a relationship with Christ. And we don't even seek him in conversation. Which be i.e. in prayer. Yet keep him locked out our daily planning. Daily battles, struggles, fears, and simply life. 
How weak were we? How pathetic? A blessing, I'm talking for myself. Uh, I think we all can identify how weak, how pathetic were we when we had not Christ. I look at my life. I don't get embarrassed. Very, very rarely do I get embarrassed with my pre-saved life. I often get embarrassed with my saved life, to be honest with you, when I think of the things I've done and the things that I've done in church and the things that we've done to try and win souls. That's embarrassing. We sometimes, I think as, a, as an eldership, we can almost, be, we can, we mention it and we go, oh, don't even go there. You know, it's embarrassing. How weak were we? How pathetic were we when we had not Christ? You know, you ever talk to someone and they don't know Christ or know a believer and they spin you a lie that you can see for 50 yards in the dark. And you're thinking, I, I, I'm, no, or they manipulate something or say something. Kids are brilliant at it, you know what I mean? Kids are brilliant at asking for sweets by no asking for sweets. Thinking you didn't know that they weren't asking for sweets. You know, it's all that stuff. And you just go, well, that was about subtle as a brick. You know what I mean? <laughs> you see it a mile away. But it's, it's, it, it's that ignorance. It's just total ignorance, you think. But see, when you look at your life before you were saved, that's how ignorant you were. That's how ignorant you were. You thought that nobody could see that and the world can't see it, but a believer can. I used to think when, no, as I was getting closer to God, that a believer could look right through into me and go, ah, you are a fake. That's what I believed and, and it's actually true. When, in fact, the weekend I get saved, I was convinced that the whole room, which I think they were, uh, were looking at me and going like that. Okay, here comes Faker. I knew I was faking it. And I knew they knew I was faking it. In fact, I stood up to speak because I was a celebrity in my own head um, at an EA retreat. And I was like, they've not heard me yet. That's, that's, that's how pathetic I was. They've not heard me yet. They're all right. Where did they hear me? And I got up to speak, I get invited to speak. I don't know, it's God's providence how it happened, isn't it? And I got up to speak and I went like that to speak. And I've got a gob as he's no, I can speak. And I got up to speak. And the words that came out of my mouth was, my name's Mark. So I was like, my name's Mark, I'm an alcoholic, right? And I'm supposed to share my experience, strength and hope. Right? I don't like experiencing being drunk. I had no strength and I had absolutely no hope. So I don't know what I was going to share. And I went to speak and I went like that. My name's Mark and... And this is what it says, and I'm a fake and a phony. That's the very words that come out of my mouth. My name's Mark and I'm a fake and I'm a phony. Kidding on, I'm somebody I'm not. And I just stood off the platform that I was on and walked away. And Jesus, it was God's calling in my life. And I was saved with God's grace that night. That very night. Because I was a fake and a phony. Yeah. It's an amazing thing to be in it. My name's Mark and I'm a fake and a phony. And here's the truth. See as I continue to walk this life. See the minute I admit Christ, my name's Mark and I'm a fake and a phony. Never leaves me. How weak were we? How pathetic were we when we had not Christ? Isn't it foolish to think we are strong and sound at any given point without engaging them? Calvin calls it the arrogance of forgetting our own weakness. How arrogant is that? The arrogance of forgetting our own weakness. It has to be arrogance to forget how pathetic you are. It has to be, it has to be nothing more than arrogance for me to think my name's Mark and I'm a fake and a phony without Christ. 
Isn't that amazing that the world thinks that Christians are fake and phony because they've got Christ? <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? And it's the actual opposite. How weak and unable were we before he rescued us? Yet we seem to forget that. How weak are we when we omit Christ from every process? Yes, when we start out, as I said on Sunday, we may not recognise either the absurdity of omitting Christ or the inevitable impending failure. Inevitable impending failure. You go on any journey, start any plan, going, I don't care where, I don't even care if it's to the grocery store. Who goes to the grocery store? <laughs> Who goes to the grocery store? <laughs> the inevitable impending failure. Many times they we go on that journey, and I, I alluded to it partly in, in, in Sunday evening, Callum touched on much more here. That, that impending failure that you don't, you don't even know. It's always you get to the end and go, what happened? <sighs> you try everything, don't you? You set out on that journey, that plan. It's all there, isn't it? That plan. Over planning. Any's an over planner. I, I'm, I, I'm actually getting worse when I'm older, I must admit. I'm actually getting worse. I don't know. I, I'm worse when I get older. Especially if I'm going away somewhere. It's pathetic. Over planning. Over planning. Anything can go wrong. Over planning. And yet no planning. Don't have a, don't have a, most is over plan that. Don't have a daily, daily devotional plan right enough. How's your daily devotional? I don't have a daily devotional plan. I'm too busy planning this. And even if it's no a plan, it's still a pursuit. The inevitable impending failure that will come. And it will come. You know it comes. And then you, you, you start to trace it back as a believer, didn't you? You start to go back. And then you go back upstream, you go, what happened? I didn't even consider Jesus. He wasn't even there. I was just away. I was gone. I was driven by my flesh. I omitted the mission of Christ in the beginning was the commission. Maybe going on a journey to inevitable failure. See, this is the wonderful thing about a believer. You know it's inevitable failure. You always hit inevitable failure as a believer. Non-believers are still at the stage where they're not, they're not at the failure stage. They're at the problem and I'll try it another way stage. This is the amazing thing about being saved. You know nothing else is going to work. You're like, ah, you always hit the inevitable. Wouldn't it be great if we never had to keep on hitting the inevitable? What happened? Oh, I just get lost track. I get caught up in this and I get caught up in that. And nothing's working. Hodding on for grim death. It's like white knuckle done it sometimes. I'm not letting go yet. I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. I'll try it 700 ways to win. And then eventually you get to stage. And it's usually another believer or often a, no, a brother or sister in Christ. But maybe your pastor or you're hearing it for the word. Or you're getting convicted. Turn around and says, told you so. Told you, oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, it's then it's a journey again. Then for many people, it's a journey again back to the inevitable. <laughs> it's not as if they remember that failure and go, that's me, I'll get it right now. And they usually sometimes get it right for three days. And then you go, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? And I'm like, where are you going? Where are you going? Did, you were green three days ago and never worked. 
Your faith, you were dying. I know, I'm sorry, Lord. You know, the guilt of that. Get away again. How often do we get to the end of the pursuit or the drama or the problem or the battle? I need to call it all these things. The pursuit, the drama, the problem, the battle. And once again, come totally undone. Again. Come to the conclusion that you sought. We always come to this conclusion. There's no other conclusion. There is no other conclusion other than that you sought not God, nor prayed, nor walked in communion with him. As you went through that process, problem, battle, drama, whatever. You're too busy being guided by your feelings and your flesh. Just takes root. It's off and running, in it? Wild horse, even it starts, it's almost wild horses can't he stop it, I don't know. Try and pull you back. I'm seeing this through. It's almost like that. You're not actually saying that, but that's actually what you're doing. I'll be seeing this through to the end. I'll make this work. You ain't making nothing work, sister, brother. You ain't making nothing work. You ain't working. You'll come undone. How often does it no end well? Well, every time. It's no sometimes. How often does that, how often does that, know? there's never a result in, you know, the result, how's the result? Oh, it just never worked, never worked, never worked, never worked. Honestly, we get memory like a goldfish, isn't we? We drag, we fly, we get in the goldfish, I don't know if goldfish have got a short memory, but people say they have, like they swim around, that's how they can be in a wee bowl, and they get in the wee bowl and they go, I've never been here before. That's <laughs> that, huh? And they, and they go away. And then they go away again and they go, I heard somebody talking about wildebeest, this is true. No wildebeest, warthog. Somebody says, what's the, what's, the best, what's the most, what's the animal that's got the biggest memory, the greater, or the, what's the most intelligent animal in the world? And he says an elephant. I think it's probably a dolphin. Right? I don't know how you can measure it. Because uh, a dolphin, because a dolphin can't play golf. <laughs> so I don't know how you measure that. But anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But they say, they say, they say it's an elephant. They say, what's the stupidest? And they say, he said, a warthog. And says, how's a warthog so stupid? He says, because a warthog has got a, a very, very short memory. I say, how's that? He says, well, you watch a warthog, and it's, a warthog can run fast. They're in Africa. Did you see warthogs in Africa? They were the only thing that hadn't been at, right? There were warthogs everywhere in Africa. We went in safari, semi-safari, and there were warthogs everywhere. And you would just see them running like, they're horrible, they're terrifying. If one walked in here, I'd literally have a heart attack, you know. And they're just like giant rats, they're massive, they're, they're, they're ugly, right? <laughs> they're like hairy kind of pig things, right? And they, and they can run like the clappers. But what happens is, is they see a lion, this is what they say, they see a lion and go, Lion! And start running like the clappers, right? But they can run that fast, they'll outrun a lion, believe it or not. Maybe no in the pack, because lions can be, you know, they weren't packs. But it can outrun a lion predominantly, it can get in amongst the bushes and that. But then it runs for a wee while and then it just stops. <laughs> it forgot what it was running away from. Isn't that what we're like? What are you running at? Do you remember it didn't work? Oh no, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. A week later. You're on that journey again. I know. 
So what happens is the warthogs don't stop eating. It's forgot what it was running away from. Starts eating. And then it looks up and goes, Lion! And does it again. And it spends its whole life doing that. It spends its whole life grazing and running. Because it keeps on forgetting what it was running away from. And this is what happens when we don't engage and bring in the Lord into our daily life. We don't ask, thy will be done. Lord, show me your ways. Help me honour you. How little did you line up your pain, your battle, your struggle, your desires with the word of God? Take every thought captive and line it up to the word of God. How many times do we need to say, I never sought God until all was falling apart? Happens all the time, doesn't it? And we can all say, we can all say as believers, we can all say it to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. What did you expect? <laughs> a result? And we're going to get a result. We'll never get another result. You'll never, you'll never get another result again. Isn't that a wonderful thing and a terrible thing at the same time? I personally think when you get to the stage when you know it's a wonderful thing, it's great. You'll never win again. Going it alone. That's the promise of God that will no lose any of his own. If you could go alone, you could be lost. That's real long suffering, isn't it? God loves you so much that you're going to fail at going it alone. That's how much he loves you. Isn't that an amazing thing? So see when we give ourselves, and, and see the guilt that it says in the prayer, you feel guilt. The only believer feels that level of guilt. Feel guilty, well, I know I'm not doing the right thing. Feel guilty. I know we can work really hard at trying to drown it out. Justification's usually the, the, the antidote for for anesthetizing guilt. I bought, I bought justification. Comparing, well, they're getting it. It's another one. Ah, but they're getting it. That's justification to try and anesthetize guilt. We can all say what you expect. Calvin reminds us that we ought to at all times carefully consider. I think this is a better word than thy will be done. For me, it's a better word. You might find thy will be done better. God willing. No, we're talking about that. And Billy was, Calvin was mentioning it to Bill, about Billy, our dear brother. And uh, I think there's a word, this works better for me. And as I've been praying about this, this it, what, thy will be done is no painful for me. Thy will be done is too positive. It doesn't hit my, it doesn't hit my soul just the same. Thy will be done. I can, I can just say it parafashion. Calvin says this. Calvin calls, his, calls it this. And we've heard it. If it pleases the Lord. See, if it pleases the Lord. I'm not saying thy will be done wrong or God willing wrong. It's all good. But see, see, see the, for me, the way sometimes I process stuff and maybe help you a bit is that See if you say, if it pleases the Lord. Do you know why that's good for a believer? Because you know what Disney please the Lord. If it's thy will be done, it's come see, come see, it's maybe yes, maybe no, it's, it's whatever. It's, 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 there's still an unknown in thy will be done. Okay? You're still leaving that up to the, thy will be done. No, I'll just go about my day, thy will be done. No, 
But see if it's if it ple- so there's thy will be done. Have both. Thy will be done. And if it pleases the Lord. Because see if you're a believer, you know right away that doesn't actually please the Lord at all. You're knowing any doubt. Thy will be done, you can manoeuvre it. Well, you try to say God doesn't want me to be happy. No, that stuff. You try to say I've no care. You know that stuff. You, know, you try to say that. Thy will be done can be manoeuvred to anything. If, if, if you're as manipulative as my head. If it pleases the Lord in a believer, can he be hidden? Near the same. You know, that. does that please the Lord, that? Do you know what? No, I know it doesn't, but I've been, I've, I've, I've actually, I'm, I'm no doing if it pleases the Lord. I'm doing thy will be done. <laughs> That's a bit easier for me to manage. If it pleases the Lord, He also says, or if the Lord permits. And it's no if the Lord permits, if the Lord says yes. It's no if the Lord says yes. When it's saying if the Lord permits, is, is this that permissible? Is that acceptable? Is maybe a better way to say it. Is that acceptable? Is that behaviour acceptable? <laughs> no. No. It's a, it opens it up, doesn't it? It goes, it goes right to the soul. If it pleases the Lord in every decision and situation you found yourself in. Okay, ask yourself this. Now we're all failing here. Okay, so just think you go, ah, oh, I'm the worst. I don't know. No, I'm the, what is it? Bunyan calls himself the chief of sinners. If it pleases the Lord in every decision. Ask yourself this. In situation you found yourself in. How much drama and pain would you have already avoided in your life? You write a book, can you? It wasn't the situation that caused you the pain. Okay? Situation will cause you pain. The situation will cause you trials. It will cause you to be angst. But if the truth be said for a believer, it's the decisions that you never made in the process. In the omission of Christ. That caused the greatest pain. The greatest drama. The greatest problem. So if I was to answer, ask the question again. If it pleases the Lord in every decision and situation you found yourself in. If you, if you were ready to make a decision. Go, does this please the Lord? No, it doesn't please the Lord. I'm not doing it. If you had to do that every single time. How much less pain. Drama. How quicker could things be solved? How long have you, now sometimes I, I told people, like, how long have you been like that in the last weeks? You know when Jesus says, how long have you been like that? It's like 38 years, do you want to get better? 38 years? Oh, well, nobody's here to put me in the pool. Excuse? <laughs> nobody's here to do this. And, and sometimes he says, how long have you been like that? Oh, a couple of weeks. Does it please the Lord? No, well, I've not been considering it pleasing the Lord. I'm still trying to get, I'm still trying to please me. Dr. MacArthur says, a constant disregard for or disinterest in God's will is a certain mark of pride. He adds, to disregard God's will is tantamount to saying, I am the sovereign ruler of my own life. End quote. Anyway, we bring this in. Note the words come now in verse 13. Come now. 
You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. See that word come now? It, see if we say it like this and this, and this, oh come on now. See if you say it like that, it, it, it lets you know that it's not the first time he's been saying that. It's not, oh come on now. It's like, are you kidding me on? Are you, oh come on now. It's no, come on now. Oh, come now. It's, oh for, for goodness sake, are you serious? That's what he's saying. It's like, you ought to know that this is no right. As believers, you ought to know. Come on now. No, or we'll maybe go, out. really? R really? No, you sometimes say, really? Really? That's, 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 that's what you're deciding to do? Really? Really? That's, 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 that's the journey you want to go on? Really? That's, that's, that's really what you're saying, is it? Really? That's, that's, that's how James is writing this. It's a word that lets us know that it's not a one-off thing. It's one that's not only not a one-off. It's also words that says you ought to know better by now. We ought to know better by now, shouldn't we? I ought to know better by now. You ought to, as believers, know you can't make your own plans and choices and think it won't cost you. Just as a, a wee tiny offshoot there, I, I'm just reminded of the message that we done in the prayer meeting. I think it was for Richard Sibbs, where he talks of, you know, the Ecclesiastes scripture, where the woman can't even get up to get to the door, he open the door, because she's just like, oh, I'm already changed, I'm already tired, and it's that, isn't it? Oh, oh, kind of melds in together, you know, I'm, I'm tired, I was just too tired to seek the Lord. We ought to know better. We ought to know better that it doesn't work well when we don't. You can't make your own plans and choices and think it won't cost you. It always costs us, doesn't it? Always costs us. Every single time it costs us. Do you know, do you know what mature Christians are? Faster learners. <laughs> You're like, my goodness. It's like Warthogs United. <laughs> where, where do you go? I go to Warthogs United. Well, I just keep, I keep forgetting what I was running away from. Are you running again? <laughs> Benny Hill, always running. <laughs> Some of you almost like, I don't even know what you're talking about. You don't want to know what I'm talking about. I was a young boy. I was always, I, 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 I ran everywhere. Like Forrest Gump, I ran everywhere. But I was often getting chased. <laughs> like, honestly. Where that boy away like the clappers again? Because I knew I'd just open my gob, I'd go in trouble. And I was in, no, see, see, like in Bell, so I was talking to Callum the other day, he's for that neck of the woods, a lot younger than me, but, uh, see, down the North Road area, and that whole area there, honestly, I had to run through that place like a, a gauntlet, like the clappers, you couldn't get near it. There used to be a street in Bell, Sill called Belvedere Crescent, still a street in Bell, Sill called Belvedere Crescent, and see if you came from a certain area, you couldn't get through there on a bike. You had to be in top gear, pedalling really, really fast. Okay? Vanessa's looking at me like, is that what I've moved to? <laughs> <laughs> and you had to pedal really fast. 
So you would have, they were a bit downhill, to see if you were on your bike, somebody would just run, or a gang of them would just come running right at us, and they would, you'd be off the bike and it would be their bike. But you used to see, because you were wanting to do frighty things, you know, like, let's, let's run the gauntlet through Belvedere Crescent on the bike. You'd deliberately do it to get chased. <laughs> Crazy. Anyway. James uses an example here of prosperity, of being able to prosper our own life and our own means. I love that he uses prosperity. He uses it for a reason. The Jews were business people there and they were buying and selling and making stuff. But he really highlights the point when he uses prosperity for our own life by our own means. Making plans for our own life. Making plans for our future. Making plans that we have no idea of the outcomes of. Isn't it amazing that we admit God, we don't just make plans, we decide the outcome. We've even decided the outcome at hello. Like, you don't know what the outcome will be. Admitting God does not just cause us to make plans, but it causes us to start to dictate what we think the outcome ought to be. There's a problem. I'm not just making my plan, I'll decide what the outcome will be. This will happen. That's, see when you go to the, the charismatic church and they have the name it and claim it. I don't know how they call, I don't know how they cope with that scripture. <laughs> how many of us already have decided the outcome we want and start that journey with that plan in mind, and not even sought him? Surely the outcome we ought to desire must be, and the only outcome that will ever happen for a believer is, we want to become more like Christ. Yet we without seeking him in the morning and all we do and throughout the day seek outcomes that are not about us doing his will but about our ideas and wants becoming successful. Our wants getting met. People, is that not what disappoints us so much? Is that not what disappoints us so much? That we start to make plans and then we start to work them out and we don't get what we want. Is that, is that no the worst outcome? Is that no what really demoralises? That we set ourselves a goal and we've got a plan and we're going to walk through life and walk through the situation this way and at the end you're going to get that result, the love, the needs, the approval, the money, the boss, the, whatever it may be. You're going to get that at the end and then you walk through all that process often tiptoeing through it because you're a believer and you're free to get caught, right? So you're tiptoeing through the process because you know, because you know what's right. Yeah, you know what, you know the difference, what I just said earlier. So you tiptoe, tiptoe through it, hoping to get the result and then you don't get it. Is that no devastating? I always tell the story very briefly. When I was a young boy, I was in... Uh, I was in Sunderland with my mum and dad and I, got, I knew, I just wanted to please my dad. This is a sad story but an example as well. So I was, quick story, you've heard it before. I was between two bus stops, it's a big massive long road. You could see it about four mile in the distance, yep. Four mile at least in the distance. So, so my mum and dad decided, I was maybe about eight, seven or eight years of age. And my mum and dad decided that because the road was dead long, it was a long promenade. They could see the bus miles away. They would walk to the next bus stop. And then get the bus. So I had a cunning plan. 
I'm going to pretend I didn't see the bus. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to see the bus at the last second. I'm going to run like the clappers, like a warthog. I'm going to run like a warthog and then run to the bus. And when I get to the bus, my dad is going to say to me, wow, Earl Mark's an amazing runner. That's what I was looking for. That was my cunning plan. That was my plan for approval and acceptance and love and whatever I was looking for. It was working a treat. It was working a treat. The bus came. Oh, bus, lion, run. No, started running. Started running like the clappers. Started running like the clappers. Go to the bus. My dad's annoyed because he thinks I'm going to miss the bus. He's not looking at me as a fast runner. He's too busy caught him. He's ain't thinking on. Right. This is what he says to me. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. This is what he says to me. Own the bus, show off. <laughs> it was like a dagger in my heart at the time. I've never forgot it. Honestly, I'm, I was seven, eight years of age and I still remember it to this day. I don't have any resentments against it or anything like that. At the time I did, dev I was devastated. I'm not devastated I'm still telling you about it 48 years later. <laughs> but, it but it's that feeling. It's that feeling that you have when you're going about your plans and then God or the truth pulls just pulls a rug away for you. You go, ah, caught again. And then you go in that journey of demoralisation. You want to stay in the demoralisation. <coughs> and in that demoralisation, you want to look to him for sanctification. You don't want to forget that till you get to the stage that you did the war dog run again. There, another bus, I'll try it again. Because you'll still go on the bus, show off. You'll go on the bus, show off every time. We want people to do what we want, or plan, or pursuit, hoping of an outcome that favours our desires. Yet in that we have sought not his will be done. Make me more like you. You are, who's the author and finisher of our faith? That means he's writing our faith. He's writing it. He is the author and he's the finisher of our faith. If he's the author and finisher of our faith, that's the page that we should be staying on. Again, I'll need to close here. Look at verse 13. It says there, we'll do this and we'll do that. That may not be the language that you use if you put verse 13 up that we'll do this and do that. Come now, you say, today and tomorrow we will go to such and such a site. Spend a year there. Buy and sell. Make a profit. See how that They've already decided, they've not just decided, they've not just started out in the journey. They've already, they've also decided the outcome as well. When we do not seek him first, all our thoughts and actions go towards, I will do this. I will do that. I will get this. I want this result. I will gain this. All without a single pause. There's no pause here, it's just... Before they've even set out, they've decided the outcome. All without a pause, and all they're heading is the abyss of sin. Wild horses ain't stopping them now. You're so fixed in your ideas and wants. You know, that, that pause. If you don't have, include God in it, there's no pausing. How many warnings, these signs do we get? You could just stop there right now, you just don't. 
Oh, we've talked about that in prayer meetings over the weeks. Lenski puts it like this. What's true at the start is also true in the entire project. It's all fixed and settled. End quote. Meaning the mindset that they've started out in the journey is the one that they keep on pursuing. The whole entire process is settled. I'm going for this. Or I'm pursuing this. Or I'm doing this. When we allow our flesh to be unharnessed, when we don't take our thoughts captive, when we don't seek him in all we do, when we don't ask, thy will be done. Or better, if it pleases the Lord, does it please the Lord? Is that a question? Does that please the Lord? No, does it please man? Not that I'm trying to please men, but ooh, God to test my heart. And if we don't do so, be it as John MacArthur says, commissioning sin. You've just commissioned sin. We're so weak that without him, as this Calvin says, so arrogant that we forget our weakness worse it's always going to lead us into deeper despair in the end but the Lord reminds us he reminds us in that despair I'll lead you to the remember he goes I'll lead you to the the, the valley of a core will be a door of hope as he talks about in Hosea Oh, the woman was constantly pursuing worldliness and worldly riches and all stuff. And it led her to despair because she never got it. And it says the valley of a core. That hopelessness. The valley of hopelessness will be a door of hope. Oh. We'll go to try and keep on walking through that door of hope. <laughs> Our hope is in him. Thank goodness he does lead us there. What I said earlier as a believer, he reminds us of the despair we once had so that we never admit him again. If you all we do in our life, prayer is the key to that, isn't it? Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.